Praise God. Jesus never fails. Amen? Let's look to Him in a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for that statement, for that promise. Jesus never fails. We thank You for the words of that song. Throughout time, You have been tested time and time again. We have tested You and You have never failed us. Precious Lord, we pray now that You will just open our hearts to hear Your Word, Father. I pray that You will just speak through me, deliver to us what You would have us hear. We love You and we thank You. We commit this day to You in Your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to spend some time today talking about that very statement, that promise that Jesus never fails. And I want us to to just take a moment and think. Think about all of the things in our lives that we place our faith, that we put our reliance on. Think about all the things and all the people that we count on in our lives. Well, for most of us, the list, it's a common one, isn't it? And it's directly tied to how we spend our time. Right? Because you can't invest in anything that you don't really believe will pay off in the end. Think about our day. How do we spend our day? We work. Why do we work? Well, we work to earn money, don't we? Right? It's more than just we love what we do. If you think for a minute (laughs) that you would go to work for 40 hours a week if you didn't believe from your heart of hearts that a paycheck would be there at the end of it, do you think you'd go? Absolutely not. We go because there's a reward. There's a payoff at the end of it. Right? It's an investment for us. It's an investment in our financial security, in our future. What else do we do? We spend time with our friends and family. Right? We, we enjoy their company. But more than that, we're investing and building lasting relationships. We spend time educating ourselves as an investment in our in our knowledge, in our understanding, hopefully our wisdom. We spend time conditioning ourselves as an investment in our health and our emotional, physical, and mental strength. Right? And all these things are good, and all these things should require some of our investment. But the cold, hard truth is that at some point in our lives, and oftentimes at many points, every one of these things will fail us. In our time of need, every one of these things will let us down. And we're going to spend some time looking at each one of these things. And let's start with, with money. For so many people, security in life is defined by how much money they have. Right? They tie their security and their future to how much money they have and how much they've saved up. We spend time making it. We spend time investing it so that we can have more of it. We spend time in spin cycles figuring out how much of it we have and how and when we're going to spend it. Right? For us, it's such an important thing. We invest so much of our time and our efforts into our money and our security. And there's certainly wisdom in sound fiscal management. But money is never going to solve all of your life's problems. It's never going to be there for you for all of your needs. Look at the scriptures. Genesis 47.15 says, And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. Their hopes were in their money and it was gone. It failed. Certainly you've heard the age-old adage, 
Money can't buy happiness. We've all heard that, right? It may buy you a lot of things. Money will buy you some comfort and possessions in this life. It'll buy you attention. It'll buy you fame. It'll even buy you lots of temporary friends. But no mistake about it, at some point in your life, money won't be able to come to your aid. It can take you far in this life, but you can't take it with you, right? If you think money would solve all your life's problems, then ask Buddy Post. Poor Buddy Post. You see, in September of 1996, the Chicago Tribune ran a story about Buddy Post entitled, Living Proof That Money Can't Buy Happiness. In 1988, Buddy Post won $16.2 million in his state lottery. Since then, he has been convicted of assault. His wife has left him. His brother was convicted of trying to kill him. And his landlady successfully sued him for one-third of the jackpot. It didn't change me, insists Post, a 58-year-old former carnival worker and cook. It changed people around me that that I knew and that I thought cared a little bit about me. Today, Post is trying to auction off 17 future payments valued at nearly $5 million in order to pay off taxes, legal fees, and a number of failed business ventures. He plans to spend the remaining days of his life as a former lottery winner pursuing lawsuits he has filed against police, judges, and lawyers who he says conspire to take his money. Can't buy happiness. It's a sad story, but it makes a good point. Money is never the sure proof guarantee in your life that you can depend upon. It fails. And there are problems it can't remedy. Money can't buy you peace or bring you any comfort in this life. In the end, it can't but fail you. So, okay. Money fails. That's understandable. What about friends? Surely, though money may not be there for me, surely a good friend, a true friend will be there at all times and at the lowest points of my life. One of the greatest investments in life, it's true, is the investment into people and the development of lasting friendships and family bonds. It's a precious and wonderful thing. But there are still investments in people that are far from perfect. You see, we're all human. We're all far from perfect. And as such, we fail and we fall and we falter. And friendships in this life, they still rely on the character of individuals and as such, There are no guarantees. Friendship shouldn't be something that you place all of your life's faith upon. Take a look at the life of Job. Job's was a life filled with family and and close friends. And at some point in his life, even those failed him. Turn to Job chapter 19. Job makes a very sad statement here when he comes to the realization that even his friends, even his family, even those he counted on, most of all in this world, well, they failed him too. Job 19, verse 14, says, My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, But he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. 
Those I love, well, they've turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones, and I've escaped with only the skin of my teeth. If all you're counting on during a trial or a time of need in your life are the friends around you, then you're in for a tough time. Job discovered that all he ever loved failed him when he needed them most. Well, what about ourselves? You might ask, surely an investment in ourselves, our own intelligence and knowledge, well, that'll get us through, right? Education and knowledge are wonderful things and certainly worthwhile investments. But don't be fooled into thinking that your knowledge is above failure. If we try and work things out through our own intellect, we will most surely fail. You see, our knowledge and our perspective, they're limited, finite things. As we are limited human beings, we don't see the whole picture. We don't know the future. We can't see the turns ahead in the road. Right? Our perspective is limited. We don't know all the circumstances around the situation we're in. And more importantly, don't ever think that wisdom comes from knowledge. It doesn't. Don't buy into the lie that the devil can feed us, that more head knowledge equates to wisdom. We can educate ourselves all we want. We can even attend every seminary and Bible school we can find. And we can build up our head knowledge, but that does not buy us wisdom. James 3.15 says, This wisdom, our own, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Because that, at our base, is what we are, apart from Christ. True wisdom comes only from God and the life trials He takes us through. In our nature, our own thinking, it's based on our own ideals, our own standards, our own morals and ethics. And we know where those get us, right? We've been there. How many times have you found yourself in a situation that you have messed up so badly? And then you say, well... You start justifying yourself. Well, I assume that. Well, I thought that. You see, I reason that. It just doesn't work. We are finite in our vision and in what we know and what we see. And our own knowledge, our own wisdom, everything we have in ourselves, what's going to fail? Okay, well, what about the strength of the human will? I may not be able to get through with all these things you talked about. But I'm strong, see. Turn your television on today, almost to any channel, and you'll be inundated with messages about the strength of the human will. You can do it. Be all you can be. Just do it. The power of one. Yeah, they got that right, but they missed the one who it is. (laughs) You see, we invest our time into conditioning our minds and our bodies We pour resources into building ourselves up emotionally, physically, and mentally so that we can be strong. This is a good thing, but this is not above failure. You know, we think survival of the fittest, I will get through by the strength of the human will. I tell you, at 20, we want to prove we're indestructible. And at 40, we we still think we're indestructible. At 60, well, we begin to admit maybe we're not indestructible. And by 80, we're just trying to spell indestructible. (laughs) The human body, the mind, and our emotions, 
Well, they're destined to fail us at some point. Look at David. Look at the life of David. David had fallen into sin. Psalms 38, verse 4, says, For mine iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. David found out that even his own strength, the strength of his will, even in it, he could do nothing. He goes on to say in verse 10, My heart panteth. My strength faileth me. As for the light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. You see, all these things, our money, our friends, our wisdom, even our own strength, every one of these things is sure to fail us. They're all good investments in themselves. But make no mistake about it, they will fail us. And don't be fooled into making any one of these the primary investment in your life. You know, when the doctor tells you, looks you in the eye and says, I'm so sorry, but it's bad news. Is your money going to be there to bail you out? When your boss pulls you aside and says, you know what, the laid... The, uh, the, the layoff rumors you heard about, I know there were rumors, but I'm so sorry to tell you, they're true. And you've been impacted. You've lost your job. Is your wisdom, is your strength going to be there to pick you up? My friends, there is only one thing in this life. There is only one person that can never fail us, and that is Jesus Christ. Our key verse today, let's open up to Joshua chapter 1. Verse 5. And this is a verse that you should highlight, you should write it down, keep it close to your heart. And in every situation, in every trial of your life, call it to memory. Because it rings true. And like the song we sang earlier, he has proven himself time and time again. Joshua 1.5 There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God has left us a promise there. And when you look at his character, we realize that he has not failed, he will not fail, and he cannot fail. Let's let's look at these. He has not failed us. We have a legacy in Scripture. We have story after story, and these have been written purposely for us, of God proving Himself time and time again. He has not failed. We have a legacy in our own lives. How many situations have you been in when He has come to your aid and rescue, that He has spared and salvaged you? He has not failed. And we have a legacy in Jesus Christ who went to the cross, His personal mission. We saw it in the movie. The passion. I was so impressed with the commitment he had that while he was beaten, enduring all of the pain, he kept his focus and his eye on the cross. Why? That was his mission. You and I were his purpose, and that was his goal to get to the cross to save us. And he didn't fail. He has not failed. He will not fail. We just read the verse. In Joshua 1.5, and the scriptures are filled with verses like this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
It's as good as gold. You can take that to the bank. He will not fail. He has not failed. He will not fail. And more than that, it's impossible for him to fail. He cannot fail. 2 Timothy 2.13 says it's inherently part of his character. Though we are faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, Jesus truly never fails. And we can say that. We can say those words. And we can even believe it. But now and this morning, today I want us to ask ourselves, do we live it? What does that mean? Jesus never fails. Well, this isn't some some mantra that we can just carry in our back pockets and, and it gives us license to live our lives how we want, to mess up so badly and then say, in despair, Jesus, help me. You never fail. You promised. Well, there's a nuance in this verse. Jesus never fails. It doesn't mean we have license to live how we want, to set our own standards, to prioritize our lives based on what feels good to us, what's convenient for us. Jesus never fails means Jesus never fails to keep his promise and to keep his word. His word says, I will honor those who honor me. See, we like verses, and we do this so much in the Christian life. We like verses that place all the responsibility on God and none on us. Jesus never fails. I'm out of it. I'm out of the loop. He's going to handle it all. That's not what it means. This is, this is like going to an investment banker. This is like walking up to Carl and saying, you know, there's a stock that has recently tripled its value, and I think I should get in on that reward. But you never made the investment in the first place. You see, you can't claim the benefits if you never took the risk in the first place. And unlike any investment you've ever heard of, placing your faith, placing your life, placing your trust fully on Jesus Christ is a no-risk investment. Yes, God's Word is filled with promises But there are requirements on our end. He offers us salvation and he promises us eternal life. But we have to accept Jesus Christ and receive the free gift. He promises an abundant life to us. But we have to walk in his ways. We have to live our lives according to his principles and standards. He truly will never fail to keep his word and his promises. But we, we can't fail in obeying His Word so that we can receive and inherit that promise. Amen? Amen. So what about me, you ask? Well, I've kept the faith. I've put my faith, I've wholeheartedly trusted in God. And He didn't spare me from from the trial. He didn't spare me from this disaster as I see it. My friend, our timetable isn't God's. You see, we only see the present. We only see the trial we're in right now. Don't think that the chapter of your life that you're in right now is the last chapter. God may just have an amazing ending to your story. And I want us to turn today to my favorite Bible story, one of my favorites. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at this principle. We're going to look at 
Three young men, three Hebrew boys who placed all of their faith and trust in God. Who held on and stood. And we're going to see what happens to them. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do. O people, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What an amazing stand these three young men made for the Lord. In the face of a sure death, they stood for what they believed in. They stood for their convictions. They faced death. How easy it is for us to make stands today. What are we facing? Are we facing a fiery furnace? No, we're facing embarrassment. We live in a free country, but we don't want to look different. We don't want the shame of standing up for Christ. 
of not fitting in with the world. These men, these boys, had death looking them in the eye and they stood. Let us take that same stand today. Let us pledge to make those same stands for Christ. You see, these three young boys, their legacy was defined by that stand they took. And let me ask you today, what defines your legacy? When your time on this earth is done, what will people look back and say about you? What defines your life? We read some sad obituaries in the paper today. Some lonely, lonely things. She enjoyed her collection of movies and spending time with her friends. That's wonderful. What's her legacy? What's your legacy this morning? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a legacy of standing firmly in the foundation of their faith. We're going we're gonna to read the rest of the story, but you know what? God could have ended the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taking that stand, refusing to obey the king's wishes, taking the stand for God, and Nebuchadnezzar could have said, I've heard you and I respect your wishes. Go in peace. Right? The same principles could have held. They stood for God and God vindicated them. But the story doesn't end that way, does it? Why? Because God loves exclamation points. God loves to prove His principles in big ways. Let's take a look. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes and trousers, turbans and other outer clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And so here we are. These three placed all their faith and trust in God. They stood for God. They obeyed Him. And still, the worst possible thing happened. They were thrown into the furnace. The trial did come to pass. Is that the situation you find yourself in today? You've trusted God, but here you are. The trial has begun. He didn't spare you from it. You know, sometimes we look to God and we say, please spare me. Spare me from this trial. You said you will never fail. And oftentimes He responds back to us, my child, I will not fail. I will take you through the trial and make you stronger for having been through it. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, wait a minute, weren't there three men? The wait a minute was mine. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can picture he's shouting above the sound of the flames. 
Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What an amazing ending. I will honor those who honor me. Once again, the Lord kept his promise. Truly, he never fails. He didn't necessarily spare them from the fire, but he took them through it. And think of the testimony it had on those around them. An entire kingdom was changed because of the stand they took and the trial they went through. God is taking you through something today. Think of the impact it will have on others when you keep your faith when you keep trusting in God and He takes you through it. My friend, if you don't know that one this morning, if you don't know that one who never fails, if you don't know that one who spanned the gulf, the divide of sin, and chose to die on Calvary's cross to erase our debt, to erase our sins, to rescue and redeem you, and to guarantee you eternal life, take the opportunity today to receive Him as your personal Savior. Don't wait for tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow, but He's here today knocking on your heart's door. Take Him today. And fellow believers, let's take a good look at our lives today. Let's ask ourselves, where are our priorities? What are we investing in? Where's our time spent? Where? Where's your heart? Are we sitting in our seats today physically, but our hearts just aren't there? If the main investment in our lives isn't in Christ and His work, it's an investment that's sure to fail. And we have to look. Have our investments changed since we came to Christ? Are we still pouring our time and efforts into the same causes we did before we accepted Him? There should be a change there. Friend, we've tried that already. It didn't work. We've poured our resources, our time, our efforts, our hearts into the things of this world and they let us down. It doesn't work. It didn't work then and it doesn't work now. Let's pledge to make Christ the priority of our lives. The priority investment of our faith, our time, our efforts, our thoughts and our hearts. Let's claim the promise that Jesus never fails. But let's not make these empty words. Let's just not make these a a, a saying or a statement. This is a promise and we have to live in light of that promise. Let's honor Him in our lives. Let's live knowing that He will honor us in our time of need if we honor Him. And let's pledge to build up our faith. How do we build up our faith? We get to know the One in whom we have faith. We spend time in His Word. We spend time communing in close communion with Him in prayer. We spend time with His people. We fellowship with His church. Let's get to know Him with all our hearts. Let's pledge to make Him our investment. And let's remember...
There's not a situation. There's not a circumstance. There's not an illness. There's not a job difficulty. There's not a household difficulty, a financial trouble, a relationship, an emotional struggle, a personal battle, a habitual addiction. There's nothing in our lives that God can't fix, heal, mend, or move for us. We've seen it time and time again. We have stories in the scriptures like we read of these miracles. We have examples in our own lives. Our lives are tapestries of God's miracles. How He has shown us over and over again. He never fails. Let's pledge to live our lives in light of that. And let's close in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the promise that we're not alone. We are not alone in this world. Your love sought us. Your Son bought us and Your Spirit indwells, strengthens and lifts us up. Father, we are so thankful for that statement, that promise that Jesus never fails. Help us. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling You have given us. Help us to place all of our faith and trust fully in You. Lord, we want to be sold out believers. We've turned our lives on this world and all it has to offer. We've been there, Lord. We've tried that. It didn't work for us. There is nothing in this life worthy of our investment apart from You. Help us to live lives of faith, to pledge our time, our efforts, our hearts, and our lives fully to You. We thank You for all of Your mercy and goodness to us. We don't deserve it. We thank You that even though we fail, You never do. We love You, Lord. We commit the rest of this day to You. And we claim that promise. Jesus never fails. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.